Welcome to the Hills. So glad you're joining us today online, or if you're in person at the North Richmond Hills campus or the West Fort Worth campus, uh, you're watching me on the screen because it's my joy to be in person at the South Lake campus today. My first opportunity to be there live to preach since the pandemic began. So wherever you are, thank you for being with us. And a big thank you to all who participated last weekend in our Renew offering. So grateful for all of you and your heart to bless the world in the name of Jesus. I'm also grateful to the great message that Taylor Wally brought us last week. Now, I did not hear that message in person at any of our campuses, but I had a good reason to be gone last weekend. I was out of town officiating the wedding of our youngest child, Matthew. And I just have to take a minute to say, Matthew grew up in this church. Until he left for college, it was the only church he ever knew. And so many of you poured into him. You were his Bible class teachers, uh, young children world teachers. You took him on mission trips. You led D groups, uh, took him to camp. You prayed over him and poured into him. And I just want to say thank you so much. Matthew has always loved our church. Well, except maybe one time. When Matthew was 10, uh, I was preaching. Jamie was here with the family. And to our great surprise, the elders invited Jamie to come up on the stage with me. And they delighted and surprised us. It was the 25th anniversary of my career as a preacher. And they took note of that. And they honored Jamie and I and gave us some gifts. And people were very kind and thanked us. And Jamie went and sat down next to Matthew. And it was obvious he was upset. And she leaned over and said, Matthew, why are you upset? And he looked at her, frowned, and said, I give my life to this church. And this is the thanks I get? <laughs> well, young Matthew had to learn the truth that we all know. And that is that life is full of disappointments. Now, I know you've seen this phrase and heard it before. God is good all the time. In fact, you've probably been in churches where the preacher says, God is good. And the church says, and then the pastor says, and all the time. And the church says, right. God is good all the time. But here's another truth. God is good all the time. But life is not. Life is not good all the time, even though God is. And there is no vaccine for the virus of disappointment. You cannot live in a fallen world without having outcomes that often fall short of your hopes. But while disappointment is inevitable, living in the prison of disappointment is optional. What we're going to see is that when life lets you down, God can get you out of bondage. We're using the story of the Exodus. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage as a platform for studying the ways God wants to deliver us today. And I want to talk to you especially about the potential bondage of disappointment. Because disappointment is inevitable. 
but living in the prison of disappointment is optional. Now, if you remember, Moses had received a calling and an assignment from God. At the burning bush, he was told to return to Egypt and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. So we're going to pick up the story now in chapter 5. So read with me, starting in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, who is this Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to Yahweh, our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Now, if you kept reading, you would find that that's exactly what the taskmasters did. They required the same number of bricks without the straw. And when the Israelites could not keep up with the man, it says, they were beaten. Their hard labor was made worse with physical torture and beatings. And so we read in verse 19, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you're not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses is disappointed. When Moses returned to Egypt, things were bad. And after he got there, things got worse. Pharaoh said, who is this Yahweh, this God of Israel? I should obey him. Those Hebrews had better understand the only deity they need to be worried about is me. Now, here's the thing. Moses should not have been surprised that it was not going to be easy. He should not have been surprised it was not going to go well at the first because God said so. Back at the burning bush, chapter 3, here's what God told Moses. I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all of the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. You see, a divine assignment from God does not guarantee immediate success. And so Moses goes back, and what follows is a series of events that make the Hebrews think, Moses, you're a bigger problem for us than Pharaoh is. Now remember, Moses has history. 
He had tried once 40 years earlier to deliver the people, and it had been an epic fail. And the people had rejected him. And now they're doing it again. And all this is coming back to his mind. And he's thinking, God, why? Why did you set me up for this? Why did you set me up to fail? He is clearly disappointed in God. Why did you bring this trouble on your people? You haven't rescued your people at all. You see, God did not deliver on Moses' expectations of what deliverance should look like. And that leads us to a big idea in this message today. And that is that disappointment can only reside where hope has lived. Think about it. We fall into disappointment when life falls short of what we had anticipated. Let me give you some illustrations. So when I was a young boy, my favorite baseball player was this guy, the Say Hey Kid who just turned 90 a couple of weeks ago, Willie Mays. You say, why was he your favorite baseball player? Because he was my grandma's favorite baseball player. Why was he her favorite baseball player? I have no clue, but I loved Willie Mays. Now, I grew up in Dallas back before there was a major league baseball team in the Metroplex. There was no way to ever see Willie Mays. To my great delight, one day my father surprised me and said, we are going to drive down to Houston. The San Francisco Giants and Willie Mays are playing the Houston Astros in some big barn called the Astrodome. Baseball inside a house. It was awesome. We went to church Sunday morning. We're driving down to Houston. We get about an hour out of town. My dad turns on the car radio. He gets a baseball game. It's the Giants and the Astros in the eighth inning. Instead of playing in the evening like my father thought, they played an afternoon game so they could leave town. I was crushed. Now, if you had asked me a month before, who's your favorite player, Willie Mays? Have you ever seen him? No, and I would not have been disappointed. I never expected to. It was expecting to see him that was so disappointing. Now, let me show you another one of my favorite athletes when I was young. Roger Staubach. Quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And I did get to see him play many times. And I lived and died with the Cowboys. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you young people to believe. When I was younger, the Cowboys were always relevant. There was a season of about 20 years in which they almost always went to the playoffs. And Staubach was the quarterback during many of those seasons. And so our hopes would get high. And often they would be crushed if they failed to win. But we had high hopes because we anticipated almost every year they would be in the playoffs. Now, back to my son, Matthew. He's 28 years old. He's never disappointed in a failed cowboy season. Why? Because in his lifetime, they've never been relevant. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. In the 20-something years that he understood football, the Cowboys have only won a couple of playoff games. And so every season, we have different levels of frustration I get very disappointed because I have all these memories of when the Cowboys were relevant. He's not disappointed. He has no memories. I go back again. Disappointment can only reside where hope has lived. Now let's bring it down to where we live. Recently, I had a painful conversation with a young school teacher. All her life, she had great hopes of the difference she could make teaching school. And in two years, she's found out that different rules and particularly difficult parents 
have made her dreams very hard to realize. She's so disappointed. I talked with a young man from our church who all his life wanted to serve in law enforcement. And he got that opportunity and was crushed with the realization that so many people look at him contemptfully, even before he can do the job he so wants to do to serve the community. And he's so disappointed. And I talked to so many young ministers who find out that what they thought church would be like and what it really is can be two very different things. In this last year, I talked without question to more ministers thinking about quitting than any year in all my ministry. Disappointment is crushing. Few losses are more painful or enslaving than the loss of hope, especially when it is in God. So, when was the last time you were disappointed in God? Now, please notice, I did not say, have you ever been disappointed in God? Because you would have put on your church face and say, oh, no, God's never let me down. Hey, we're going to get real today. I asked you, when was the last time you were disappointed in God? And whether or not your disappointment was legitimate, what I know is that the devil was there to leverage your disappointment for the purpose of putting you in bondage. And the enemy knows the times when we are most susceptible to disappointment. For example, one of those times is when spiritual highs don't seem to last. Right at the end of chapter 4, when Moses and Aaron returned from the desert, it says, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Oh, that was a spiritual high. After years and years of suffering, they hear that God cares about them. Moses and Aaron show up and do miracles and bring in the supernatural in front of their eyes. And man, they are on the mountaintop. But most of life is not lived on top of the mountain. It's lived in the valley. You went to the marriage conference and it was so awesome. And you made some great commitments, but then you had to go home. And deal with paying the bills and mowing the yard and helping the kids do their homework. You had to make marriage work in the valley. You went to the retreat. You had such an awesome moment with God. You recommitted your life to Him. And then you went back to school or to work. And found out all the people around you could care less about your weekend spiritual high. You went to a prayer meeting for someone who was sick and you prayed and prayed and God answered and there was a miraculous healing. But then you prayed for someone in your family to receive a similar miracle and it didn't come. You see, we've all had those kinds of memories and moments with God. 
But if you think you've got to live on the mountaintop to stay faithful, you're going to struggle to believe. If you need a daily diet of miracles to keep your faith alive, you're going to struggle. And I'll tell you when else disappointment is very real. When desired outcomes don't seem to happen. When the thing that you just know is going to happen doesn't. You see, often our own expectations that God may not even have given us are the source of our frustrations. Hey, now let me show you another picture. I know even if you weren't alive at that time, a lot of you recognize young Elvis, who was, by the way, much cooler than old Elvis. And there's a great story. Back before he was famous and just a struggling musician, there was a steakhouse in Memphis where he would often hang out and they would give him free food. Well, a few years later, he becomes huge. And he's back in the back table at that same steakhouse. And they're having an Elvis impersonation contest. And he thinks it'd be funny to enter. So he does. And he gets up in front of everybody and sings his big hit, Love Me Tender, to polite applause. And comes in third place. (laughs) How do you come in third place in the Elvis impersonation contest when you're Elvis? You see, sometimes you just know what our outcome is going to be. And it doesn't come to be. And here's the trouble with God. He's often not in nearly as big a hurry as I am. And we get disappointed because we interpret his delay as either a denial or even his displeasure. And this is especially discouraging when we feel like We are entitled to what we want. I think disappointment is most enslaving when being obedient doesn't seem to help. Here's the thing. Things didn't go from bad to worse because Moses got worse. Moses was obedient. Moses did everything God asked him to do, just like God asked him to do it. And yet God didn't do anything Moses expected him to do. So again, let's, let's be real honest. Have you ever been upset with God because you felt like he owed you? Let's be honest. God, I started tithing. And my business still went bankrupt. God, I gave up drinking, and it hasn't helped heal my marriage. God, I I took up Bible study, and I started praying to you every day, and I'm still having struggles with, and you can fill in the blank. You're disappointed. Because you felt like God didn't hold up his end of the bargain. You see, life is going to give you plenty of opportunities to be disappointed in God. To give up on God. And one thing I've noticed about people that walk in freedom is that they are stunningly resilient. They don't quit when faith gets 
heart. And can I just say, resilience is one of the hallmarks of spiritual maturity. I read an interesting study recently about school children. They were trying to discern why do children in Japan do so much better on basic math tests than children in America. And what they learned it was it wasn't an intelligence issue. They gave these first graders in both countries this t- problem to solve, and they weren't expecting them to solve the problem. That wasn't the exam. The exam was how long will they work on the problem before they quit? And the average American first grader worked about nine and a half minutes. The average Japanese first grader worked about 14 minutes, almost 50% longer. We need to hang in when it feels like life and God has let us down. Well, how do you do that? Uh, Disappointment is inevitable, but living in the prison of disappointment is optional. And I want to show you three things that we can do right out of our text that can help us leave that prison. And here's the first. Be honest with God about what you wanted. That's what Moses did. Once again, his hopes are frustrated. And once again, he runs. But this time, Moses runs in the right direction. This time, Moses took his disappointment in God to God. And he just says bluntly to God, is this why you sent me? You haven't rescued your people at all. Now here's the interesting thing when you read in scripture. That people can talk to God in really bold, frank, blunt ways. And God doesn't seem to mind. Oh, now it's true. There are a few times in scripture where people are scolded for the way they address God. But the scriptures are full of laments and prophecies and psalms where people are very frank about taking God to task. And here's what I think is the difference. is that God can handle tough questions if the aim is understanding not submission. Here's what I mean. It's one thing to say to God, I'm very frustrated with you. And if you don't give me what I want, I'm out of here. It's another thing to say, I'm very frustrated with you. And I really would appreciate it if you could help me understand. We're going to next month look at a little book in the Old Testament called the book of Habakkuk. I think after this long pandemic, we need a short series where we just talk about dealing with life when it's hard to understand. And here's what the prophet says after his venting to God. Chapter two, I'll climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. You need to take your complaint about God to God. You need to be honest with God about what you wanted. Now, here's the thing. You don't want a Stepford God. Now, that may not communicate. Uh, There was a movie. In fact, I think it was two movies called The Stepford Wives. And the premise was there was this town where all the wives were beautiful and compliant. And they just lived to please their husbands every want and whim. And they were robots. There was no real relationship. 
There was no intimacy. There was no depth. I don't want a God like that. I don't want a God as a vending machine. I don't want Stepford God. I don't want a Bible that never challenges me. I don't want a Bible that only says what I want it to say. And if there's something that challenges or convicts me or even goes against what my personal values are, I just get rid of it. I want a God that I wrestle with. I want a God that can frustrate me because that's the only way I can have a real relationship and a real intimacy with the God that I need. By the way, every parent knows this. Because you want what's best for your kids, you don't give them what they want all the time. And if God is good all the time, then he can't give me what I want all the time. And so, after you have been honest with God about what you want, you need to ask God to help you want what he wants. You see, maybe what you want is not what God wants. Maybe what you want is not how God wants it. Maybe what you want is not when God wants it. And just maybe what God wants is so much bigger than what you want. You see, God didn't want to just deliver the Hebrews from the nation of Egypt. God wanted to deliver a message to all the nations of the world. And so after a delay and after a series of plagues, God sends Moses to Pharaoh with this message in chapter 9. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague. That would have wiped you off the earth. But I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You see what God is saying? Moses, if I had done what you wanted and just immediately given you success, my own glory among the nations would have been diminished. God's delay was going to bring him more fame and more glory than instant deliverance. Which raises perhaps the hardest question of this story for us today. Do you want God to be glorified more than you want to get what you want? Now that's deep. Do you want God to be glorified more than you want to get what you want? And so... My wife and I have been very open over the years about our struggle having children when we were first married. We went through a number of years of infertility and treatments and surgeries, and it was a very, very hard time. And it was hard for my wife in ways that I could never completely understand. And after another failed procedure, one day she she went into the corner bedroom of our home in Abilene, Texas, and she got honest with God. And she just laid it out there. She basically said, I feel entitled here. I feel like I have lived the life for I deserve. I feel like I'm owed. And she just laid it out. And then she heard something in her spirit 
And she heard this. Have I been unfair to you? And she knew immediately, well, no, God has not been unfair. She heard this. Did I ever promise you a child? Well, no. And then she heard this. And if I never give you a child, am I still good? Now, here's the thing. In that early season of our life together, we had no understanding of words from the Spirit and revelation, spirit to spirit. Jamie just knew she had heard from God. In fact, because it was so new to her, she didn't even tell me until years later about this moment. But it broke her in a good way. It changed her perspective. And instead of being bitter, she began to praise God and say, you are good. Even if I don't get what I think would be good. When you take your disappointment to God, be sure to listen as well. And if you do, you might want to change what you want. And here's the thing to remember. God will get what he wants. And so when Moses asked why, God answered with who? In other words, God replied to Moses' disappointment by pulling out his resume. In chapter 6, we read in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of his mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of, his, uh, because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. You see, more important than knowing why we're waiting is knowing who we're waiting on. And we're waiting on a God that doesn't give up, even when we're about to. And so four times God said, I am. And eight times God said, I will. In other words, what he said to his disappointed servant was, Moses, when have I made a promise and not kept it? When have I made a covenant and not honored it? When have I announced a future and not fulfilled it? When disappointment tries to enslave you, break free by considering the track record of your God. The author of our faith is also the finisher of our faith. God says, I am the Lord and I will do everything I have declared that I will do. What this means is that God will get the creation he wants. He will get a new heaven and a new earth. 
a world free of pollution, a world free of sin, a world free of all the troubles that are so burdensome right now. God will get the creation he wants. God will get the church he wants. I know the church can be disappointed. Why should that surprise? It's full of redeemed sinners like you and me. But God will get a completely pure and holy bride when Jesus returns. And by the way, God will get the you he wants. Oh, that's right. God has such an awesome future in store for you. Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, God began doing a good work in you. And I'm sure he will continue it until it is finished when Jesus Christ comes again. And even when you don't see it, and even when you don't feel it, God is working to get what he wants. And you want a God like that. The well-known essayist John Cavanaugh was trying to decide what the rest of his life was supposed to be about. And so he went for three months to live with Mother Teresa in Calcutta. His first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. And she asked, what can I do for you? And he said, well, you could pray for me. And she said, what would you like me to pray? And he said, I will want you to pray that I will receive clarity. And she said, I won't do that. He said, why? He says, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to that you must let go of. He said, well, you've always had clarity. And she laughed and she said, I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. So I pray that you will trust God. And that's how you leave prison. You put your trust in God today, even if today is not what you wanted. Because God promises the day you've always wanted is coming. And believe me, you will not be disappointed. Pray with me, please. So God, if we're honest, if we're being authentic and real today, and not just putting on church faces, we need this message. Life is hard. There's a lot of our chapters right now that are disappointing. Honestly, God, sometimes we've, we've been disappointed. You didn't do what we expected. And we're wrestling with this, and we need help. We need the Holy Spirit to give us more resilience. We want our faith to be tempered like steel. And even when we don't understand God, we want to hold on to the truth of who you are, that you are good, that you are at work in ways that we cannot see, and that ultimately you're going to get what you want. And ultimately we're going to understand and realize that's exactly what we want to so increase our trust, God. We ask it through Jesus.